0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Tonight's our last official lesson in, our, in this series. Uh, next week is Thanksgiving week. We won't have Wednesday night activities. And the next Wednesday night will be um, our Q&A. So please be sending in some questions, and an, uh, not the answers, unless you just want to answer it too. Send in some questions for me to answer on that Wednesday night in two weeks. And that'll be our last Wednesday together for this. Uh, December the 3rd, 6th, is our children's choir concert. And that's what we'll be doing that last Wednesday of our semester. All right, so uh, having walked through uh, the personal work of Christ, we've looked at the theology of the personal work of Christ, the history, uh, some of the controversies surrounding the theology of who Jesus is, uh, his deity, his humanity, and of course we've looked at the events of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, um, and his second coming uh, last last week. Uh, Our goal in this whole series has just sort of been to introduce you and maybe reintroduce you to the person and work of Christ. I mean, it's one thing uh, to grow up in church and to be a part of a church that preaches Jesus that, like we do, and, and to maybe know your Gospels and to know the story of Jesus, uh, but to know the ins and outs, it also is something we have to revisit every once in a while uh, because there are false teachers and there are cults out there that teach wrong things about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and so it's important for us as church members to um, to know what we believe, to know why we believe it, and to be able to defend that um, in the face of error. So on the other end of this, I hope you learned something. I hope you've been refreshed in your doctrine of Christ. And uh, tonight, sort of in our finale, uh, we're just going to look at the glory of Christ, uh, the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that word glory, I don't know what comes to your mind. If you think of maybe fame or notoriety uh, that kind of glory, or maybe you think of brightness or, or radiance. The biblical word for glory literally means heaviness. It is the heaviness and the seriousness of who God is. And so we talk about the glory of God. It is the radiance, it is the beauty, it is the majesty of God. But what that means is that heavy weight, that seriousness of who God is. Specifically, when we look at the Old Testament, we see the glory of God as something that is veiled. So let's talk about that to it for a minute. Central to the Old Testament, central to who Israel was, is that concept of the glory of God. I mean, from the very beginning, God told Moses, Go release my people, I will show my glory through Pharaoh. It's all about bringing glory to himself. In Exodus 19... Uh, we see the glory of God descend on Mount Sinai. If you remember our series in Exodus, uh, the clouds and the thick darkness and the lightning and the thunder and the rumblings and the sound like many waters when God spoke. Remember when the people heard God speak, it terrified them. That was that, that weighty heaviness of the glory of God there on Sinai. In Exodus 33, remember that interaction with Moses when Moses asked to see the glory of God. And God said, No one can see my face and live. Moses continued, and God said, Okay, I will put you between the cleft of a rock, I'll cover you with my hand, and I will cause my glory to pass by you. And as my glory passes by, you will see the back part of my glory, but you cannot see me head on and survive. So Moses sees the back part of God's glory, and still his face radiates like the sun. It scares the people. They have to put a veil over it. You know that story. Exodus 40, when the tabernacle is completed what happens there at the end of Exodus except the tabernacle is filled with the cloud of God's glory. And here's another instance of that heaviness, right? That the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and all the priests have to get out of the tabernacle because they're literally unable to perform their duties in the center of God's glory. Whatever that heaviness and that weightiness of his glory means, they've got to get out of it because they can't do their jobs. Uh, And it'll probably kill them if they would have stayed there. 2 Chronicles 7 is uh, the dedication of the temple uh, that David wanted to build. Remember, his son Solomon ends up building. And just like God's glory filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40, God's glory fills the temple there in 2 Chronicles 7. Same thing. The priests have to evacuate because they're unable to move and to do their jobs within the glory of God. So all over Israel's story in the Old Testament is this idea of the glory, the seriousness, the weightiness of who God is and His holiness and His righteousness? But in every instance, this glory was veiled and hidden. Remember, in the tabernacle, there was the actual court that the people could come into, but only the priest could go through the first veil. And only the high priest could go into the second veil, into the holy of holies. And so there was a veil and a veil and more veils, more separation between the people and the glory of God. And that was physical. There was a physical barrier that the people could not cross lest they would die. But there was also a spiritual barrier because the whole purpose of the veils and the separation in the first place was not to keep the people away because God hated them, remember? But to keep them away because God loved them and because of their sin and wickedness, if they were to cross over into the center of God's holiness and glory, what would happen to them? They'd be consumed and die. And so there's a physical barrier. There's also the spiritual barrier of the people's sins and the holiness of God. Central to that story in the Old Testament is the glory of God, but it's glory that was veiled. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. Let's look now as we turn into the New Testament. The whole story changes. The whole thing changes in the New Testament. What we see in the Old Testament, the glory of God, veiled, hidden, separated. We see a dramatic change as we come into the New Testament. The whole thing changes. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The central truth here in these first five verses is what? About the person of Christ... We talked about in his incarnation, in his pre-incarnate form, Jesus Christ is the creator God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And this word who was with God and who was God is nothing no one less than the creator who gives life and light to the entire universe. And no one else but God can claim that. But what happens down in verse 14? This word who was with God and who was God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word who was pre-incarnate with God and was God, from whom all life and light comes, is the same word who in verse 14, John says, was made flesh, incarnate in the person ...of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does it say after that? He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So remember, if we're going back to the Old Testament... ...and latching on to that concept of God's glory... ...hidden, veiled, separated, apart from... ...the people stood far off. Remember all that language from Exodus about Sinai... ...and the temple and the tabernacle and the glory of God. All the separation and all the veils. John says here, in the coming of Christ is the very revelation of the glory of God. And if you're paying attention, you know that's Exodus language. This is Exodus language, the glory of God. In fact, when John says that he dwelt among us, you know what that word is? It's like a verb form of the word tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. Who did? God himself in our midst in the person of Jesus Christ. But this presence among us is not in a tent. It's not in even the glory of the temple. It is in this man, Christ Jesus. John one eighteen down there at the bottom of that section. No one has ever seen God. Remember Moses? You can't see my face and live. No one has ever seen me and lived. No one has ever seen God. But the only God... Who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. So what was veiled and what was hidden and separated in the Old Testament, the glory of God there in the tabernacle, the temple, is manifested fully as the word of God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus. Not only that, but John says what was veiled and what was hidden has now been revealed or manifested, the word there, made him known in the person of Jesus Christ. So from the beginning of the scripture story, that's been the focal point, that's been the goal. The revelation of God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why there were veils, that's why there was separation, that's why it was hidden So at the right time, Galatians 4, at the proper time, the fullness of time, God would send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law. So now let's just take apart all those little uh, instances of Jesus' ministry that we talked about through the series. We see the glory of Jesus in the glory of the incarnation. The glory of the incarnation. I mean, not, not to mention John 1, 14. He became flesh. And we beheld his glory. But think about Luke 1:14, as the angels appear to the shepherds, right? What is the song that the angels sing as they appear from heaven? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill with those with whom he is pleased. What is their song? The glory of God in the birth of Jesus Christ and in the incarnation. How about the glory of his life and ministry? As we talked about his miracles and his healings and his sinless life, his childhood even. In John chapter 2, verse 11, after Jesus had turned the water into wine, and in John's gospel, that was the first miracle, right? That's the first sign that John records in his gospel. John says this in John 2, 11. He says, in this way, Jesus manifested his glory to them. Now, this is John, and we we talk about context a lot, so let's think about John, who in John 1 had said, The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory, the very glory of God. And then in the next chapter, as he begins to do his miracles in his ministry on earth, what does John say? That in this way, he began to manifest his glory. And it's not just in the water turning to wine. It's in all of the miracles, all of the signs, All of the teachings, all of the sermons, all of the parables, all of Jesus' earthly life was that, a manifestation of his glory, that glory which he had with the Father before the worlds began. This is an easy one, the glory of the transfiguration. talked about this in the week on Jesus' life. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, Remember, that's more Exodus language. Remember that? Going up to a mountain as Moses went up to the mountain. And what appears there to Moses on the mountain except the glory of God? And as Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, sort of a better Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, up on the mountain, what happens except the glory of God is revealed? Except this time, it's not in a cloud up on the mountain somewhere. And it's not sort of this disembodied voice that terrifies the people. With the cloud and the thunder and the lightning and all that happened at Sinai. What happens at transfiguration? It's Jesus who is transfigured with the very glory of God. And his face shines like the sun. And his clothes are bright. Mark says brighter than any launderer could bleach them. This wasn't a human spectacle that happened. Something else was going on here in the revelation of God's glory there on the mountain. Not to mention that Moses appears there with Jesus. Right And Elijah, pointing to Jesus as the law and the prophet, saying, this is the one of whom this whole thing is about. The glory of the transfiguration. About the glory of the crucifixion. Maybe you don't think of the crucifixion as a glorious thing, uh, but Jesus did. It's not John 3. Your notes probably say John 13. John 13, 31. As Jesus is uh, washing his disciples' feet, he knows that he's about to go to the garden. He knows that he's about to be arrested and tried and crucified. Jesus knows what's coming, right? And what does Jesus say in John thirteen thirty one? He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Before his resurrection, before his ascension, Before his crucifixion, on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus says, listen, disciples, in what's about to happen, even in the cruelty of this crucifixion that's about to take place, the Son of Man is glorified. And as he is lifted there up on the cross between heaven and earth, the mediator between God and men, we see the glory of God. Now, on this side of the cross, we know that, don't we? We sang about it Sunday morning in that great hymn, Here is love vast as the ocean, because there at the cross, heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love, the song says. That was a revelation of God's glory, even there on the cross. The glory of the resurrection. Romans 6, verse 4 says that Jesus was raised by the glory of God the Father. That's an interesting concept, that the, the acting agent in the resurrection of Jesus. Now Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 that it was the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That's interesting too, but there in Romans 6 it says he was raised by the glory of God the Father. It was still that weighty majesty and holiness of God that was the agent of the resurrection of Jesus. The glory of the ascension. 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that he was received up into glory. Some translations say he was received up into heaven in glory. Either way, with the ascension, we see sort of the fulfillment of what happened at Sinai. That, That God's glory came down on this mountain as Moses went up to receive the law and had to come back down to this guilty people. And as the priests go in and out and in and out, doing their job in the tabernacle and the temple, but when Jesus goes up, remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he goes in and passes through the heavens as an eternal high priest, never having to come back down and do more work, but entering into the Holy of Holies once and for all, for you and for me and for those who place their faith in him. His job is done. It's the fulfillment of what we see there at Sinai in the glory of Jesus' ascension. So every page of Scripture, every story of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New is about that. It is about the glory of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revelation and manifestation of the very glory of God. What was veiled and hidden in the Old Testament is revealed fully in what we call the person of And the work of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't even stop with just the ascension. There's one more thing we need to talk about that we haven't really talked about yet. There's another work of Christ. The giving of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 verse 33, (coughs) Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost says that it is he, Jesus who has poured out this that you are seeing and hearing. So this is after the crowds have gathered, after all the, the tongues have subsided, and Peter is now preaching the gospel, and he gets there to the middle of that sermon, that first gospel sermon of the new covenant age, as it were, and he says, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised up, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, And it is from the right hand of the Father that the ascended Jesus has now poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples. Jesus did. And when you go back to John 16, verse 14, what does Jesus say that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be? Jesus says, he will glorify me. That Jesus, in sending the Holy Spirit to his disciples, is just a way of empowering them To point people back to him. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. We talked about Pentecost before. The Feast of Pentecost, um, also called the Feast of Weeks. One of the things that celebrated was the harvest. The first part of the harvest. And that's interesting because on the day of Pentecost there in Acts... What happens for the church except there's that initial harvest of 3,000 souls, right? So it, it coincides with that. But the Feast of Pentecost for the Jews was also a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It's when they commemorated Moses going up to the mountain and receiving the Ten Commandments, the Torah, for the people of Israel. Now, if you think about what happened on Sinai, Clouds, thick darkness, lightning, fire, the sound of God's voice. And me compare that with what happens in just those opening verses of Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there, actually. Acts chapter 2. Keep Sinai in mind and listen to how Luke describes the day of Pentecost there in Acts 2 verses 1 through 3. 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's familiar. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire. There's fire appeared and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's interesting. If you're paying attention... You see a link to Sinai. There's a mighty rushing wind. There's fire. And instead of hearing God's voice, like the sound of rushing waters that terrifies the people, what's speaking now? The Holy Spirit speaking through these disciples. And don't miss what's going on here. Luke is intentionally tying us back to Sinai. So just like the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost was a celebration of Moses receiving the law in Sinai, the fulfillment of Pentecost happens there in Acts chapter 2 as the glory of God descends, not just on a mountain far away from the people, but the glory of God descends into the disciples as the Spirit fills these disciples. All of that, part of the work of Jesus Christ so we have the glory veiled in the Old Testament the glory revealed in the New Testament and the glory outpoured into us as disciples by the Holy Spirit there in the book of Acts all of this as we close tonight in the face of Jesus Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 2 Corinthians chapter 3 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read those for us. 2 Corinthians 3, I want to make sure I have my next place ready to go. Let's begin reading in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being thought, brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, uh, Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, watch this, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit if you see the transition that Paul is trying to make here in second Corinthians 12 through 18 what we have in the new covenant and in the revelation of God's glory in Christ is better than Moses it's better than the old covenant it's better than the law Because Paul says, unlike Moses, who had to go in and veil his face and hide, unlike Moses, Paul says we see God's glory with unveiled faces. And if you go down to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, we'll see where that glory comes from. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? In the face of Jesus Christ. Where do we see God's glory according to Paul? In the face of Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Did you see what Paul said at the end there of 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18? He said, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see what he says there about beholding the glory of the Lord? That by seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, Paul says there, 2 Corinthians 3, that we are being transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord that is by looking to Jesus and seeing the fullness of God's glory in Jesus Christ we're being transformed by that glory. So what Paul means in Romans chapter 12 to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God which is holy and acceptable not being conformed to this world but what being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well how do we do that Paul? Well Paul says there in Romans 12 we talked about this the past two Sundays serve the local church love the local church love people but also by looking at the glory of god in the face of jesus christ furthermore one day we will be transformed by the glory of god in the face of jesus christ by now you know first john 3 2 hopefully by heart i quote it all the time it's one of my favorite verses (laughs) beloved we are god's children now but what we will be. John says, I can't say what we will be in that day when we see him. But John says, this is what I know. That when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So just like we're being transformed, Paul says, from one degree of glory to another right now, beholding God's glory in Christ with unveiled faces, not like the law, But this new covenant of grace through Christ and the Holy Spirit, one day we will have that in full when we see Jesus face to face. And all of that changing from one degree of glory to another in this life will come to fruition forever as we see Him face to face. And it's interesting that the theological word for this, you know what it's called? Glorification. That we're justified. We're being sanctified, and on that day, we will be nothing less than glorified. I don't even know what that means. I can't tell you the fullness of what it means to be glorified by the glory of God by seeing Jesus. But here's what we do know. We will be like him when we see him because we will see him in all of his glory as he is in eternity future it will be the face and the glory of God Revelation chapter 5 you don't have to turn there I'm going to read it to you that we will adore forever and ever Revelation 5 beginning in verse 6 between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb "'Standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, "'which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. "'And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him "'who was seated on the throne. "'When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders "'fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, "'which are the prayers of the saints. "'And they sang a new song, saying, "'Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals.' For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Think about Sinai again. The glory of God and the sound of rushing waters saying with a loud voice, According to Revelation 5. Who is worthy? According to the entire scripture, Jesus alone is worthy. As the creed says, He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, infinite in His majesty, eternal in His glory. Uncontested in his beauty, supernal in his glory, marvelous in his holiness, and awesome in his power. And Colossians 1, verse 15 says this about Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He, Jesus, is preeminent in all things. And the question we come to as we read through the entire Bible and we see the glory of God revealed in this person, Jesus, the questions we ask is, what other God is there like him this is unlike any other religion any other philosophy any other worldview on the face of the earth that God became a man and suffered and died and rose again and ascended in glory and is coming again to make all things new what other king is there like him who rules over all things with sovereignty and justice and righteousness. What other Savior is there like him? He is preeminent first in all things. Paul, if we were just to shorten what he says there in Colossians 1, into one sentence is, he is the goal of it all. Jesus is the goal of it all. All the theology that we can do, all the doctrine that we can discuss, all the history that we can look at from the church and from beyond, it all points to Him. And the question that faces us all at the end of this series about this preeminent Lord is Is He preeminent to you? Is He first to you? Is he first in your home? Is he first in your schedule? Is he first in your priorities? Is he first in your affections? I hope that at the end of this, you see, this is not just a theology course for the sake of just learning more information. Of course, that's important. The goal of it all is this person who is preeminent and first above all things. The goal of it all is Jesus. And at the end of it, ask yourself, am I living for him? Am I serving him? Am I loving him? Perhaps this whole thing has been a reminder of who you serve. This wonderful, beautiful savior named Jesus. And perhaps the point of this for you has been to be captured by him again. And here's the remarkable thing about what we do as a church. That there's nothing new. I, I, I have nothing new to tell you this Sunday morning. And I'll have nothing new to tell you next Wednesday. And so when you come into Sunday service on the Lord's Day or Wednesday Bible study. And you say it's just the same thing again and again and again. It's just the same gospel again and again and again. I'm going to say absolutely it is. And as soon as I start teaching something different, fire me. It's going to be the same story again and again and again and again and again. And listen, if you're a believer, you have the indwelling of God's glory by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get old. It won't get old. And As the hymn says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. They seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. If you're a believer that echoes with you. And you'll fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. Hebrews 13 verse 8 ends us, I think, perfectly. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Thank you, our God and Father, for your glory revealed in the person and work of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that in his birth, in his sinless life, his death for us, his resurrection for us, his ascension for us, his ongoing ministry of prayer and intercession for us, his sending the Holy Spirit for us, we ask that we would never lose sight of the glory of Jesus, the beauty of of Jesus God in all things help us as your people to make Jesus preeminent he already is preeminent he's first in all things he's the sovereign Lord of all things help us to recognize him as such in our lives in our hearts in our priorities in our affections, in our emotions in our spirits God help us to love him more and more every single day God, in our small time together these Wednesday nights, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would take the words that have been shared and the truth that have been proclaimed and you might plant them deep in our hearts. That we might be transformed by this glory from one degree of glory to another until the day we see Jesus. Until the day when all things are new. We are glorified with you forever and ever. God, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our weak knees, and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at That's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.